It is Free Talk Live, where you're invited to get hold of the airwaves and talk about whatever is important to you. 603-283-6160 is the call in line if you'd like to do that. Again, that number is 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. Bonnie. It's Ian. And lots of interesting stuff to go in the way of lots of stuff that we've had for just several days now that we wanted to get into. But more interesting conversations keep directing us away from these things like Google going woke. Man, I think I brought that in last week, if I recall correctly. I, I don't remember exactly when I brought that in. But they're policing people's languages. Uh, Central African Republic, which is the name of the country, mm-hmm. is officially taking cryptocurrency as, I think it's uh, one of their, what's the one? Legal Le- tender. Legal tenders. Mm-hmm. So interesting stuff going on. Fort Worth, of course, is now also mining Bitcoin. And these Shanghai lockdowns just keep getting worse. But something that just came out today that I really want to get into is how U.S. tech giants are being duped into giving up data that is being used to sexually extort minors. And this is crazy. It is crazy. And this is a result of the, the overbearing legal system that we have. And that's why I like this story so much, because it, it just shows how afraid or how accustomed Discord and Twitter and Apple and Facebook and all of these other tech giants are to getting warrants from federal agents and police departments that they don't even question it anymore. Mm. They just turn over whatever information is being requested because they don't. They probably don't have the legal team to actually go through all of these warrants that they get on a daily basis. It. Yeah, yeah. So the and the failure to do that is resulting in nonsense like this. So let's get into it. Major technology companies have been duped into providing sensitive personal information about their customers in response to fraudulent legal requests. And the data has been used to harass and even sexually extort minors, according to four federal law enforcement officials and two industry investigators. So it's not Mm. even like random people who have been victims of this are finally coming out saying, hey, this happened to me. No, the government themselves, the ones who created this situation, are coming around saying, hey, look, uh, yeah, this may be an issue. Of course, they're not pointing to the reality of the of the cause here, which is you know an abundance of indictments, not indictments, an abundance of warrants that these companies don't don't have the manpower to process. The companies that have complied with the bogus requests, include- well, the companies probably just determined that it's easier to just comply. Oh, it looks like it came from a law enforcement email address. From what I can tell, that seems to be the case. Yes, so it, do it. It must mean that they get so many real warrants that it's believable. That's my understanding mm-hmm. of it. So this is including Meta. Uh, that's Facebook, by the way. It, it reminds me of the stories that you'll see from time to time about some guy who cooks up an invoice or more than one and sends it to the accounts receivable department at Google or Facebook or some other massive mega corporation, And they just go, oh, we owe this guy some money. And they cut a check. Does that actually say, work? This yeah. is the first I've ever heard about that. Yeah. That's crazy. They get caught for <laughs> when they get caught for it, they get hit with mail fraud or whatever charges. But sure. uh but yeah, there's people who have earned hundreds of thousands of dollars and I saw one story about a guy that pulled in millions or something from Google uh doing this. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, That's nuts, Matt. I've never heard of that. When they just have so much money and they buy so many different things, they're just like, Oh, it makes sense. Yep. I mean, that's probably it. I mean, if you send Google an invoice for, you know, five or six thousand dollars, that's that's nothing to them. Sure. They're probably not even going to look into it. That, I, that would be a bad idea. If Google doesn't owe you five or six thousand dollars, don't send them an invoice for yeah. five or six thousand no. dollars. 
But it, it is very similar to that. It but it gives, the, it gives you an idea for how bureaucratic some of these big corporations are, and it's just... Yes. It's easier for them to just comply, in this case with the, the fake warrant, than it is for them to verify the warrant or to challenge the warrant or whatever on behalf of their customer. They certainly won't stand up for their customers at any point. They'll do whatever they're told to do. Yes, and this is including Twitter, Discord, uh, Google, Snapchat, mm-hmm. Apple, and again, Meta. All of the people requested anonymity to speak frankly about the devious new brand of online crime that involves underage victims. The fraudulently obtained data has been used to target specific women and minors and in some cases to pressure them into creating and sharing sexually explicit material and to retaliate against them if they refuse. So I can imagine if you're some 16-year-old girl of whatever age girl on Mm -hmm. Snapchat and someone says, hey, look, uh, I ended up finding out your exact address and I know exactly where to find you and here's your mom's maiden name and your phone number and all of this stuff and they're like, send me some nudes or I'm going to pay you a visit. I wouldn't be surprised Mm -hmm. to find that these minors are actually doing it. Yeah, I wonder what... I wonder what they are being threatened with in the event that they are being threatened. Is it some sort of physical attack? Is it that, oh, I'm going to tell all your secrets? To, yeah, that's what I was know. thinking at first. Like, we found this dirty picture and we'll post it if you don't send us more or well, something like I've that. I've gotten those before. I mean, those are common. I mean, just regular spammers send those out. And you're just like, okay, fine, post it, dude. Have a good time. Send me a link when you're done. Well, you have a different attitude, I think, about it than That's maybe true. Most your people average would probably teenager. Freak out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's definitely from the average teenager. It just says they're threatening to retaliate against them if they refuse. It doesn't go into specifics beyond that. Mm-hmm. The tactic is considered by law enforcement and other investigators to be the newest criminal tool to obtain personally identifiable information that can be used not only for financial gain, but to harass and extort innocent victims. Well, you also mentioned Snapchat was in that list, Well, it said Snap. I assume Snap is the owner of Snapchat. Yeah. So Snapchat, as I understand it, is a temporary file sending thing, meaning that you send an image to a friend. It may only last for 10 seconds or a minute or or whatever. I presume you can select that. I think you can view it twice is how it works. And the first time they're notified, and the second time afterwards you can no longer open it again. Is that true, Bonnie? Yeah, you can... I, I don't know if you get unlimited of those. Like you can just keep opening every single snap you get twice. But yeah, you can you can at least do that. But here's the thing: they still have a file on their servers. They but don't delete. They, is that forever? As long as they damn well feel like keeping it, and they probably keep they... it for some number of years just to cover their ass for legal requirements or whatever. That's so, true. Snapchat is not end-to-end encrypted. Any picture sent through Snapchat passes through, through their, their servers, servers, and it probably sits there for a very long time. Which but makes me think... How much would they have to pay to, to be saving every single picture of like not much. somebody's breakfast? Space is cheap. I mean, it's uh, hard drive space does I not mean, cost a lot of money. Yeah, Google has massive data centers, and mm-hmm. I mean, they, they're able to handle YouTube, so I can imagine... Yeah. These are compressed images. I mean, they're not going to be... It's not. A, it's going to be big, but it's not going to be a big deal for a mega corporation. So that leads me to believe, and, and maybe it gets into the specifics as far as what these scammers are getting away with, as far as responses are concerned. Because it's one thing to ask for somebody's home address or whatever, and of course Snapchat probably doesn't have that information. But they may have geographic information. They as probably far do as have GPS. geographic information. And well, most people keep that. that in- uh, 
Pro- public, which blows my mind. It doesn't matter. Snapchat has it. They're mm. they're sending the word to Snapchat saying, "Hey, we need the geo the geo location of this user." Well, Snapchat goes, "Okay, well, you have a quote warrant. Here right. you go." Mm. The odds are, if they are interested in seeing what someone has posted, they could request the entire history of photographs from an individual user, knowing the likelihood that. Teenagers, more so these days maybe than, you know, in in previous decades, are likely to be taking nude photos of themselves and perhaps sending them to a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, not realizing, of course, that Snapchat saves likely saves a copy in a database somewhere. So therefore, what you Wouldn't probably... that make Snapchat, though? Wouldn't that make them guilty of possession of child pornography? Not if they didn't knowingly okay. have it. Um, but yes, from a technical standpoint, yes, they probably have quite a bit. But they'll never of, get prosecuted no, over it. No. But this does suggest that if these scam artists are able to send a fake warrant to Snapchat and return all kinds of data on a specific user, they may be able to pull the entire history of that user's snaps. And that may be what they're using to blackmail. They may say, oh, well, you know, we've got all these pictures now of you in these revealing uh photos that you sent to your boyfriend we're going to send that on you know whatever what do they call when the the the, when you break up with somebody revenge porn the the revenge porn sites we're going to post it to the revenge porn sites unless you do x y or z that's my speculation it doesn't require a phone number to sign up for snapchat i think so or an email I don't recall now. Well, I mean, email can easily be spoofed, but it's much harder to, like, spoof a cell phone number. And I suspect most teens probably don't know how to do it. And then you can look up, you know, exactly where that person is located, which just helps you find them. More about this coming up because it's a problem and it needs to be addressed. 603-283-6160. You're welcome to weigh in. It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live, and coming up in just over a month and a half, I think, or just just short of two months, actually, let's go with that, is uh, ForkFest. You can find it at ForkFest.party. It is an alternative to the Porcupine Freedom Festival for those who want to attend a libertarian gathering and aren't able to actually get tickets to the Porcupine Freedom Festival ForkFest is the alternative for you. You can find that at ForkFest.Party. Again, that's ForkFest.Party. I'm currently planning to be there. I put in the request with my federal handler several days ago, even though it's actually not necessary, Mm. as I understand it, because I'm allowed to come and go within the United States as much as I want, uh, according to my release conditions. But, you know, it's it's always good to have the person who can throw me back in jail happy with me. So, sure. you know, if, if, if that eases the process, I'm totally fine with that. So that's ForkFest.Party. Come hang out with us. Some of us at least will be there, um, even if I'm not there. And I can't imagine why I wouldn't be there. Someone from Free Talk Live will be there. So check it out. That's ForkFest.Party. We're talking here about... Uh, Discord, Snapchat, one suspiciously absent place, that would be TikTok. But the rest of these, uh, Google, Meta, Twitter, and I hate calling Facebook Meta because everyone understands it as Facebook. Discord and a large number of other big tech companies are being hit with these, quote, attackers who are successfully impersonating law enforcement officers, presumably serving up 
fraudulent warrant saying, hey, we want information about this person. We want everything you have. And the tech companies are just turning that information over. But could you do that to a Chinese entity saying you were the United States? Because that's what TikTok is Chinese. I suspect they have a U.S. division, probably. Hmm. I suspect that they could do that, and they probably, you know, w- the law enforcement agents would probably get what they want. But I'm not sure how much information the TikTok really has on people that isn't already publicly available by going to their profile and looking at their videos, right? They could have, like, conversations, because there is, like, a way to have conversations oh, on there. Oh, there? Mm-hmm. Okay. See, I've never used TikTok, so... I, I probably should do that as some way. Free Talk Live is on TikTok, incidentally enough. You can find that at tiktok.freetalklive.com. But anyway, this tactic, this latest tactic of just random uh, uh, scammers and fraudsters out there emailing these tech companies, demanding information, pr- creating fake warrants or whatever, it's impossible for victims to protect against because only... The, you. Because you have no control over the information that Discord or Twitter, the only way you can protect against this Don't go there. is to not be on these tech platforms. Otherwise, your well-being is in the hands of Facebook and Twitter and Discord and Snapchat, and you're relying on them to have the courage to say, hey, look, something seems off about this warrant, or mm-hmm. we need to see that this has actually been sealed by a magistrate or a judge or whatever, and they're evidently just not requiring that. It takes a long time, I imagine, to verify that a warrant is legitimate, right? Like, you can't just call up most courts. Yeah, it might be sealed. Yeah, you would probably have to have an attorney reach out or whatever and, and verify that... But uh, don't you think that's their responsibility? It should be. I mean, yeah. if I was running a tech company, that that's what I would do. Oh, you got a warrant? All right. Well, first of all, before I give you anything, I need to see that warrant. They could probably call the agent, right? Because you wouldn't have to call the court as much as you could call just the agent from whichever department. So if it's... Travis County, Texas, or whatever, you could call that sheriff's department and say, hey, I have a warrant here from such and such agent, you know, Mr. Smith, and then get Mr. Smith on the line and verify that he really did put this in. That would be one way to do it. That would be a relatively efficient way of doing it, too, because if Mr. Smith, if they go, oh, no, we don't have a Mr. Smith working here, then fake. Yeah, you have found your problem. It's not clear how often the fraudulent data requests have been used to sexually extort minors, but law enforcement and the technology companies are still trying to assess the scope Mm. of the problem. Since the requests appear to come from legitimate police agencies, (laughs) so they're probably using just slightly off uh, URLs from which to send emails. So instead of like keenpd.com they have k-e-e-n-p-d.com or they don't just, have the e or whatever they're just faking the from area on the email and they're how easy is it to do that i i, I would imagine that's fairly it's difficult it's pretty easy to do it but it depends on whether or not and i'm not a it admin but having dealt with some email changes on our systems recently uh i can say that there's some technicals in the background of how you set up your email system that you can better believe governments probably screwed this up and so they probably made it so that anybody who wants to pretend as though they're the such and such police department can do that because they have their their systems set up incorrectly and that just could allow a spammer to easily get in there and and uh and spoof an email from them 
So with these requests appearing to come from legitimate police agencies, it's difficult for companies to know when they have been tricked into giving out user data. Nonetheless, the law enforcement officials and investigators said it appears the method has become more prevalent in recent months. Police departments are going to have to focus on preventing account compromises with multi-factor authentication. So the, how the hell are the police going to prevent this? Uh, this well, this chief, this is the chief security officer at Facebook who's now saying this. So he's he's, he's pushing the responsibility the, onto the police because he doesn't want to admit that this is Facebook's fault. So he is. So he's suggesting that the police are actually having their accounts compromised and that these requests are legitimately coming from real police addresses. That's what he sounds like he's saying there. Yeah, but that's probably not true. I I can't it imagine. Seems less likely to be true. Yeah, I can't imagine how. How I don't want to use the word courageous, how willing to engage in risk one has to be to hack a police officer's official email mm-hmm. and then use that to try to extort discord. And even then, even if you do hack the officer's email, that doesn't give you any access to the ability to create one of these fake warrants. Well, isn't there a way to do it without hacking the email if the at blah, blah, blah is like hosted by something else? Because I feel like I've heard of that happening with... Somebody we know who has an at Free Talk Live, somebody warned him that they can make it look like mm-hmm. they sent an email from there, but they didn't actually hack his email. Yeah, that's kind of what I was referring to earlier. There's a way that you can do that. It's not that complicated. Mm-hmm. It just depends on how your system is set up, whether or not it's going to succeed. Like you can send an email pretending to be so and so at Free Talk Live. But if we've got our email system set up correctly, then that should go into the you know the spam folder of whoever it is that is receiving it, or there should be a right. warning on it saying, "Oh, this doesn't look like it was actually sent by Free Talk Live." Those warnings will come up. You might have seen them on if you have a Google account or something like that, and you get an email from somebody sure. that's not who they claim to be. Well, unfortunately, but either way, I just want to go on here. Either way, you should still buyer beware when it comes to emails. If you are if there's even a chance that you're not certain you've received an email from somebody who you were expecting to receive it from, contact that person in a different manner, perhaps by phone or whatever other way you have to reach out to them, and verify that it that it was them who sent it to you, especially if there's a suspicious attachment to it. Excellent Be very advice. Concerned. And I didn't know it until recently when all of this email stuff regarding freetalklive.com, as you mentioned, the email system was recently overhauled. I didn't realize just how bad for security email actually is. I just always assumed that anything sent via email was going to be compromised. But it's it's extremely difficult to actually have a secure email server. There more, there's more coming up. It's Free Talk Live. Do you feel like your country no longer holds your values? Have you dreamt of a place where liberty-minded people can come together and leave government overreach behind? There are many people just like you that are discovering FreePrivateCities.com. They start at FreePrivateCities.com and connect via the social media links shown there. All skills will be needed when the first of the Free Private Cities open. It's sooner than you think. Stop arguing and build FreePrivateCities.com. FreePrivateCities.com
It's Free Talk Live. You're welcome to join us, 603-283-6160, if you'd like to do that. Again, that's 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. And Bonnie. And Ian. And interesting stuff happening in the cryptocurrency world. Of course, that's, that's true in general, I think. I mean... One way or another, something interesting is always happening in cryptocurrency. I've got a story here that we're going to get into later about how Intuit, that's the company behind QuickBooks and TurboTax, and evidently MailChimp, they're facing a class action lawsuit where users of the Trezor crypto wallet, which I I don't know anything about it other than I think it's a hardware wallet. It is. Yep were targeted as a result of one of Intuit's employees falling for a a, a phishing email attack. But oh. we've had, a, for a few days, a story about Eric Voorhees, who is the founder and former CEO of Shapeshift.io, which is a platform that allows people to shift to shapeshift one cryptocurrency into other cryptocurrencies for a small fee. At, at one point, they I, I love to shapeshift, and they implemented KYC, which know is your know your customer. And then they were like, we're going to get rid of the KYC, and we're going to become a decentralized autonomous organization. A lot of people were upset when shapeshift went to know your customer requirements, and it was just this It's understandable. Shocking, it is understandable, but it was also shocking because Eric Voorhees is a very principled libertarian. He's actually a former uh, amplifier here on Free Talk Live from back in the day, from way back before he was crypto Eric Voorhees, back when he was just... Uh, libertarian Eric Voorhees, who was looking at moving to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project and attending uh, Liberty Forum, and and did that's, he? Yeah, that's when we. Uh, yeah, he actually did actually move here for for a time, and then after he founded Shapeshift, moved out to Colorado, and since then I think they've re moved or they moved their well, they moved their corporate center to Zug, Switzerland, mm-hmm. and now the corporate center is gone because they again got they got so much pushback. And I know he didn't want to do it. I mean, he never, I never asked him personally about it, but just knowing Eric, he never would have wanted to implement KYC. So they must have had a gun to his head. They must have been. That's threatening the general him. Uh, rumor that goes around in libertarian circles. I think that's probably accurate. Yeah. So, uh, but they, you know, they implemented it because at the time there wasn't any other way to do it from their, I'm sure they looked, right? They, I'm sure they considered other options. They didn't have it. And then finally uh, they came up with, and it, it took a few years. I think they implemented KYC in like, I don't know, I'm thinking 2018, 20, 2017 or 2019, somewhere in that range. I don't remember when it was, but it, it was around the same time that they released the uh, Shapeshift token, if mm-hmm. I recall correctly, right? The Fox token. Yes, because mm-hmm. otherwise you couldn't even have an account with it. Well, I guess you could have had an account with the token in it, even if you didn't have a, a KYC account with Shapeshift. It was all very confusing, but I think it was around the same time. I, my my understanding of it was, was that it felt like that was sort of a... A, a bone being thrown out to people like, look, we're, we're sorry, we, we kind of have to do this, but here you get these free, you get free, these tokens. free tokens. They're, they're useless, but a lot of people dropped off. Uh, I don't know what, I don't know what their business looked like before and after, but I suspect it was a precipitous decline in I transactions because there's always somebody out there somewhere in the world, you know, not based in the United States that's willing to run a website that'll let you switch cryptos. Without having an account. And there have been those things since then and, and still to this day. The issue I always had with it wasn't, okay, look, in theory, I understand. You know, sometimes you just have to KYC if you're dealing with crypto. So mm-hmm. I never really objected to that. My issue was that 
doing it properly and having a complicated password, I was constantly having to create a new account in Oof. order to, you know, shift into one cryptocurrency or another because I couldn't remember what 47 you know, character password mm. I was using for this particular account or even what email address was tied to which, which password. It was not, and it, it was not very well handled on my end. So they announced last year, and this was something I actually had in my show prep for almost a year at this point. It happened in the summer of 2021, and we just never got to it. It was one of those things that was cool, but we just never ended up discussing it. And I'm glad we get to talk about it now, because now we are six months into their experiment of changing from a centralized corporation with a board of directors and a CEO and a, and a manager, you know, managers and customer service employees and the whole pyramidal... Attorneys corporate, and all yeah, of attorneys. that. A physical place. A physical location to a decentralized... Autonomous organization, and for listeners that don't know what that is, it's a DAO. Well, that's what it's. Yeah, those are the the acronym. But uh, what it means is a newer terminology that came out within the last decade. Uh, arguably, Dash, the cryptocurrency, is the first DAO. Uh, there was another one in uh, Ethereum that failed miserably, and people lost millions of dollars worth of Ethereum. And that was what they actually, uh, when they split Ethereum into Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, because. One branch of Ethereum said, "We're not going to undo this uh, this mistake." And then as the they shouldn't said, have. That was Ethereum yeah. Classic, and that's why I've always been a supporter of Ethereum Classic because yeah. I get it, man. Having having a hack sucks on your cryptocurrency network, but if you want people to have faith in it, you just say, "Well, that sucks, man." But the code they didn't violate the code as it was written at the time. You, you can change the code afterward, but you can't you can't retcon the blockchain mm-hmm. like Ethereum did. Does Vitalik? I don't know his last name still. Does he like support both Ethereum? No, that's a good question. I never thought about Vitalik it. Vitalik is the creator uh, or the person who is programming Ethereum, right? Yeah, yeah. He, you never hear him talking about Ethereum Classic, so I suspect not. Hmm. Uh, but anyway, not to go too far astride there. The centralized autonomous organizations, you know, some of them work out and some of them don't. And so this is actually apparently the very first time that a centralized organization has transitioned because normally a decentralized autonomous organization is started from scratch as a DAO. That's it wasn't anything before. They created this thing out of nothing and they have a DAO. Uh the Shapeshift was an existing centralized corporation, a very successful one, one that had been around for many years. And so they interviewed Eric Voorhees uh, over at Medium.com at the official Shapeshift account. And uh, question, what were the main catalysts behind the transformation of Shapeshift? He says the serious discussion to transition into a DAO began in December of 2020 and continued for a few months with other leaders in the company uh, and the executive team. We communicated it to the whole company in May and then announced it publicly in July of 2021. The decision had three main rationales, one ideological, one strategic, and one tactical. The ideological one was that the ethos of crypto is decentralization, immutability, openness, and borderlessness. And a centralized company is at odds with all of those things. So did the people have to unanimously agree, like everyone in this company had to agree? I suspect it was just the board of directors that had to agree. Were they a publicly traded company? No. Okay. But they still had a board of directors just because of how they were set up. It wasn't just... Eric Voorhees, CEO, making whatever decision he wanted. Well, maybe they didn't have a board of directors, but their executive team, whoever the hell it is that that was at the top of this corporation. 
Uh, and so he says, a centralized company is at odds with all of those things. This ethos is what initially attracted me to Bitcoin in May of 2011. He's old school when it comes to crypto, right? That's like almost the very beginning. He says, in its incorporated state, Shapeshift was out of step with the industry's culture. Decentralization enabled that culture to be embraced once again into the heart of Shapeshift. He says, the second reason was strategic. We saw how fast and innovative these open protocols were. We felt they were moving faster than we ever could. They had fewer gatekeepers and much more flexibility and dynamism. Strategically, we thought this was the best way for Shapeshift to thrive in this environment long term, even though short term, such a transition would be very disruptive to our own roadmap. And what he's referring to when he's talking about open protocols, he's referring to what's called decentralized finance in the, right. the industry. And these things exist already. That uh, There's a new one of these that just came out within the last few months or a year or whatever. I don't know because I've been able to use cryptocurrency in quite a long time. Mm-hmm. But it allows people – previously, these decentralized exchanges, you could just swap one Ethereum token for another. That's right. But now there's a new one, one of these decentralized autonomous organizations that produced a decentralized cryptocurrency exchange where you can actually transfer or translate one cryptocurrency into almost any other. Which one's that? I don't recall. About ThorChain? I think so. It's not almost any other. It's a limited number of them, but it's some of the big ones that are out there. They're starting with, you know, you can't start with More a than bunch. anyone else? Um, there's nothing else like ThorChain that I'm that I'm aware of. And Shapeshift Eric was Vor- the closest, I think. Eric Voorhees was promoting ThorChain a year ago, and he has adopted that into Shapeshift. There's more coming up here. This is Free Talk Live. We'll talk about the success of the DAO or not. It's Free Talk Live, and we're talking about Bitcoin here. Well, not really. We're actually talking about Shapeshift and decentralized autonomous organizations. But apparently, Eric Voorhees, who was the founder of Shapeshift, is like an OG Bitcoin dude from 2011. Mm-hmm. And he's still principled. Yeah, I, I don't know what the value of Bitcoin was around them, but I did see someone shared it with me on social media today. I don't remember exactly when or why, but it was this guy who was who who was laughing because Bitcoin crashed from $2.74 per down to like $1.50 per. And he retweeted saying, man, I'm really glad I didn't buy that garbage. <laughs> and now... Wow. And now he's looking back and go, and now the tweet is just him saying, oh, wow, I really was an idiot, wasn't I? It's like, Damn. Dude, if I had known about Bitcoin back when it was, you know, $2.74 per, I, I wouldn't have spent, you know, $5,000 or anything like that on it. But I would have bought, you know, 100 bucks, maybe 100 bucks worth. I that would have been a good move. I can't say that I would have because I first heard about Bitcoin in like 2016. And I heard about it because Peter Schiff, I don't know why I like followed him on Facebook. I just thought he was really smart and interesting. And he would always post like, this Bitcoin crap is a bubble. And I was like, "Mm, I believe him because he's really smart. Mm. Sounds like bad (laughs) stuff. See, what's interesting to me is that uh, I I can say fairly confident that I would have done that because I do have some some old phone that had a broke uh, screen on it that is just completely disassembled that I didn't even bring with me when I moved away from Mississippi because Mm -hmm. it just didn't have anything of value to me on it other than, you know, trace amounts of cryptocurrency. But I got to tell you. 
if Bitcoin hits a million dollars per coin, that phone's probably going to be worth ringing up my sister and be like, hey, do you, you still have that old mm-hmm. phone that broke a long time ago? She probably does yeah. it, but I mean. Mm-hmm. Then you'll have to go look through dumpsters. I don't know. Nah. It, it would be lost at that point. But yeah. I'm just saying, you know, that's probably what would have happened realistically if I'd bought, you know, $100 worth of Bitcoin back in 2011 or whatever it was worth $2. It probably would have wound up on some phone or laptop or something that was broken and that would be sitting there in storage or in a, in a landfill somewhere rotting away. The landfills around the United States, to be honest, they're probably filled with discarded phones and laptops that have Bitcoin on them. And they'll never be retrieved. Ever. Because even if you could get in there, you know, you're probably not going to find the, that one. Everyone wants to... Uh, this was way more popular a few years ago. Everyone wanted to find that one computer that had a stash of 5,000 Bitcoins on it. So the, but they were out there buying used computers. And I was like, well, no one ever found anything. Mm-hmm. You'd find a whole bunch that had nothing on it, and then you would have dug their trash. Yeah, for no reason. Or you would have you know, bought a $50 Dell desktop that was worth that was just completely worthless, and then it proved to be completely worthless because it didn't mm. have Bitcoin on it. But we do have Dave Ridley calling from RidleyReport.com. Dave, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey, folks. Uh, you know, uh, tell me if we've already talked about this, and, I, and I've got a backup topic. But uh, I, I wanted to uh, tell you about something that happened a couple months ago uh, that kind of got passed over most people didn't really notice that this happened but i think it was i think it was very interesting you remember when um, uh the state reps were having the debate on the house floor about the new hampshire independence amendment this constitutional amendment that would allow uh you know the residents to to vote on whether they want to remain in the united states was that yeah. really a few um, months ago March, I think, maybe? Uh, the House, uh, maybe, maybe. It was maybe early March. Weeks. Okay. I, I feel better knowing okay. that it was just like, um, okay. Because you say months ago, I'm thinking, wow, this year is really flying by. and That's alarming. Nope. But, but I do remember it, Dave. I was there watching it live with Bonnie. So uh, State Rep Max Abramson was one of the people who stood up to speak in favor of the bill. It was more like he was interrogating the people who were against it. Uh, like he was, he was trying to question uh, one of the state reps who had spoken against it. Uh, and he he brought up Ukraine and was asking, you know, do you think he's trying to ask, hey, do you think, uh, you know, Ukraine deserves independence, basically? Um, and uh, the whoever was in charge of the House at that moment, whoever was leading the floor, leading the House floor, wouldn't let him talk about that anymore. Hmm. Honestly, I mean, it sounds about I, right. I don't completely remember because I remember when Max Abramson went up and I remember thinking, wow, I can't really hear anything he's saying. It was like, do you remember that, Ian? I remember he was wearing green Vaguely, and I, I was just like, yeah, I can't really understand him. It yeah, was like, it wasn't the best part of the uh, the entire affair. But the video is up for anybody that wants to see it. You can go to nhexit.us and I think it's the second story down the page. If anybody has not yet seen, the, it's about a half hour long, uh, the full house floor discussion. But that is interesting that he was he was not allowed to say things like that. The exact quote was uh, from Max Abramson, quote, do you believe that the people of the Ukraine have the right to resist Soviet military aggression, unquote? And then the speaker or whoever it was cut him off and said, quote, this is not anything to do with the bill, unquote. And I think really the, the... well, the that's Ukraine the game they invasion. like to play, right? Uh, the, we we ran into the same thing at the at the bill hearing before the committee, where they like to pretend that 
they suddenly had no ability to understand parables and metaphors and how one situation that is completely identical in everything except the 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 proper nouns of the places involved could apply to this situation just as much as it does to this other situation. Like, they suddenly completely lost the ability to understand that the original 13 colonies peaceably, well, not peaceably, seceded from the British Empire. And that, you know, if they could do it, so can we today. They completely lost the ability to understand that. I think the person that shut Max up made our point for us in that this is actually the most powerful talking point right now for New Hampshire independence is that right now the United States government is risking a nuclear war to some extent uh, to help defend Ukraine's independence. And while Ukraine does deserve independence, um, it's very hypocritical to be forcing us to help Ukraine as taxpayers while at the same time forbidding us from having the same independence that Ukraine has. I'm not. I'm not sure. I agree with the premise, but I get your. I get your point. Uh, I, there's another way to look at the Ukraine situation, and that is that uh, Russia is trying to back up the independence of the Donbas region, who ostensibly voted to secede from Ukraine. Yeah, I, mean, I think a better way to put it would just be to say, you know, if if Ukraine deserves independence, why doesn't New Hampshire? Yeah, because well, most people believe that. I mean, they they will say they believe Ukraine deserves independence, but. Do they actually believe that, or do they believe that Ukraine deserves to exist as a sort of puppet shield of the United States or NATO? Do, 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 they, do they really think that Ukraine should have the independence to say, no, you know what, United States and NATO, we don't want to have anything to do with you. We're going to ally with Russia, because I'm willing to bet that most of these people who are like, yeah, Ukraine independence, if Ukraine allied itself with Putin and Russia, they would suddenly oppose their story. Ukrainian independence. To them, it's, it's, it's us political. against them. It's yep. not a matter of principle yep. and actual independence. It's a matter of, oh, yep. Ukraine's a useful ally in their little, their saber-rattling against Vladimir Putin. But I do agree with Dave Ridley that as far as like a talking point, like just one of those blurbs, which is all the American people really actually care about because they don't think about things in terms of principles. Just the blurb, does, the, does Ukraine deserve uh, independence? They'd be like, yeah. And why why is the United States fighting against that for New Hampshire? I think that might make some people think. Well, the United States, at the federal government at least, has yet to weigh in on the subject of New Hampshire independence. Well, they weighed in uh, when Texas had that question on the... Uh, was they had like whitehouse.gov or something after the Obama 2012 election and they got 100,000 signatures from people who wanted them to answer the question about Texas declaring True. independence and they said we settled that with the civil war that was the official answer from uh, Obama's Obama. white house yeah and i think you know that that's worth talking about because what he's basically saying there is not just oh, we we settled this long ago and we used violence to settle it it's as Thomas Paine pointed out in the in the rights of man, what we have in this situation is rule by the dead, where because mm. these dead people determined this thing. I mean, that's that's the most insolent of tyrannies was the phrase that Thomas Paine uses. There's no we can't hold the dead accountable for the decisions they made. That's worse than any amount of taxation without representation that we can imagine is that we're represented by the by no one because dead people are the ones who make the decisions for us. And they represent no one because they're dead. And that, that's essentially what the the response was by the Obama administration. That, hey, look, these dead people decided this thing, and it's it's clear the founders intended the union to be perpetual. 
And then there was a lot of bloodshed about it. So all of these people who are now dead get to decide how you're going to live your life. And it doesn't really matter what you, the person living, wants because the dead made this decision. Ridley, anything else? Ridley, are you still with us? Oh, I hit the wrong button. Are you still with us, Ridley? Anything Hello? else? Yeah, go ahead. I guess I'll turn I guess I have to turn it into a rhyme. All right, well, give us a call when you do and let us know how that goes. Of course, you're invited to weigh in. 603-283-6160. There's more coming up here about Shapeshift and a Central African Republic. The Central African Republic, actually, because that's the name of the country. Mm. Accepting Bitcoin as legal tender, becoming the first African country to do so. It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live's video archives have been on Library for years. Library is an uncensorable, decentralized, blockchain-based media sharing protocol, and we're big fans of it here on Free Talk Live. In 2020, Library launched Odyssey, a video sharing website to compete with YouTube, and it's really taking off, now with over 1 million channels, many of whom are disaffected YouTube creators. During YouTube's crackdown for not towing the government line on COVID, the Free Talk Live YouTube channel started receiving strikes and could be completely taken down at any moment. Thankfully, Odyssey started offering live streaming, so we're now streaming live every night and posting our video archives permanently to Odyssey. You can watch live or anytime on our Odyssey channel by visiting video.freetalklive.com. If you want to go all in, download the desktop app at lbry.com, and then every video archive you watch, you'll help seed and keep it online forever. At minimum, we ask you visit video.freetalklive.com and follow us on Odyssey today. Video.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live. As always, you're invited to join us, 603-283-6160, if you would like to share your thoughts and opinions. That's 603-283-6160. With you tonight, it's Aria. It's Bonnie. And Ian. And this whole Ukraine thing has been interesting. We were just talking with Dave Ridley about Ukraine, and there's so many different perspectives on it. Ian, I tend to prefer your perspective, which is that, you know, you had these two territories within Ukraine that wanted to secede and declare independence. and Supposedly. that's, That's in a large part, allegedly, what this entire fight is about going on in Ukraine. I mean, there, there's no real good answer, but everything we've seen from the Ukrainian government is just vicious tyranny. And mm-hmm. th- they're accusing Russian soldiers of you know mass rape and all this other stuff. And that, that's horrible if they're doing that. I don't know if they're doing that or not. But I do know what the Ukrainian government is doing, and they are clamping down on free speech, and they are now evidently prohibiting cryptocurrency purchases in the Ukrainian dollar, the Ukrainian uh, currency, whatever it's called, yeah. And there's something else they did that I shared recently on Twitter. I don't remember exactly now off the top of my head what it was, but it just... I think I said it, they were com- that Zelensky was competing with um, the guy in El Salvador, Bukele, mm-kay. for just being every bit as bad as Vladimir Putin is supposed to be, according to Western media, because he's supposed to... He's this former KGB, this evil monster who's all about torture and oppressing dissidents, and that sounds horrible, but that's exactly what Zelensky in Ukraine is doing, and it's what Bukele in El Salvador are doing. So it's like, which one of these three evil people is really the evil person the media is portraying them to be? All of them. 
Yes, that, that's just to be my perspective. But we're gonna before we get into that, we're gonna get back to Eric Voorhees and Shapeshift. But before we do that, we have Jet calling from Seattle. Jet, you're on Free Talk Live. Yeah, what I'd like to do tonight is um, ask Bonnie a couple quick questions and then get on to my topic of the Ukraine. Okay. Um, you've probably heard me a few times on the on the radio, and uh, one of the major things that I try to promote is this concept of not ever using the term government. You recall that? Yep. And how do you feel about that? In other words, uh, do you understand that what I'm getting at, the, uh, that there really is no such thing, that it's this whole concept is all in one's mind? I get it, but I also don't think that it's that easy to just never use the word government since that's what everybody else understands when I'm talking about these people. Well, it's not easy, but there are about six different substitutes. We won't go over those right now, but getting back to the uh, one, another thing. Yeah, but I could say these criminals, and uh, and me and Ari and Ian will know what I'm talking about, but you have to think of the listener. Yeah, I know, and that's why I suggest all kinds of things like tyrants and despots and all that good stuff. But um, does anyone there know who Charles Reddick is? No, no it doesn't ring a bell. How about Christopher Ray? Nope. No. How about Alejandro Mayorkas? I mean, I keep nope. I, I no. throw out a bunch of names too. Uh, What's the point? Yeah, why are you asking? Okay, the point is these are Biden's top top generals, his top henchmen. Um, Reddig is with the IRS. The uh, Christopher Ray is DHS, and uh, Mayorkas, of course, is FBI. But and the reason I bring that up is there are so many people who don't understand that we just exist, you know, in the realm of these th- of kings, kings and gangs and and other types of uh, people who love to lord over each other. And my my point has always been that the problem is the concept of kings. That if if we somehow could eliminate that uh, in our minds and our way of thinking in our uh, dealing with each other. Uh, that's when we will taste the freedom that God had intended. Well, that, uh, the example that seems like it's going to be harder than uh, one would like. I mean, the, the concept of kings, by and large, it has been eroded. The average American doesn't doesn't think of their ruler in terms of kings and queens. They don't even use the term ruler. They think of them as leaders. leaders. Yeah, there's a bunch of Americans right now who are putting Elon Musk up on a pedestal and. Can we have Elon Musk run my state? Literally, I saw that on Twitter oh, today. God. I was like, oh, God. But even what when it comes to about, like, well, what you're talking about here is sort of the great man problem. The idea that whether they be calling themselves a king or a, a general or a president or whatever, the idea yeah. that is false is that these there there could be a great man who will lead us all to freedom or whatever it is they, they want to be led to. And uh, no, there are no great men. They're all fallible humans. Bringing the focus back into uh, Ukraine, it's, uh, it's a perfect example of one king, so to speak, one person calling themselves, giving himself a title, uh, just not recognizing the existence of some other kingdom. And uh, so what I suggest is that the foundation of all freedom for every land and culture is to accept that there is no such thing 
as government. They're only people, just other humans. There are, like I said, there are uh, despots and henchmen and kings and princes and all these other people who wish to lord over you. Well, that's certainly true. And a lot of a lot of what we try to do here on Free Talk Live is to reach the average person and convince them that, you know, that Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, all of these people who are ruling over them, your, your city councilors, your senators, your representatives, they're just ordinary people. That's exactly true, and that's why um, that's why every time someone mentions a title like that, it should be reflected back to say this is just somebody else's made-up thing. It's a fiction, whether it's mm-hmm. a country, whether it's a position, um, whatever it is, it's just something made up. And once once we start to uh, ignore those things and and acknowledge the fact that they really don't exist, that they are uh, fictions. Yeah, but you're attacking people's religious beliefs at that point. And that's that's why we get so much pushback to it. They, they refuse, first of all, to recognize that it is a religious belief. And even if they do acknowledge that, it's so fundamental to their entire worldview that it's like trying to convince a Christian who's, a, who's you know been a pastor for the last 40 years that there isn't a God. It's just a complete waste of time because they're entire. Well, I don't know if it's a waste of time. I mean, you had a conversation, at least one, more than one, I believe, when you were running for sheriff on some podcasts where you spoke with someone who was, let's say, a liberal, coming from a skeptical, liberal, atheist kind of perspective. And you pointed out to this person the trappings of religion that just drip from the state that they're all over the place and you made very crystal clear examples of the pews in a courthouse the uh the flag and the hymns and you know the the man in a robe and there's so many different examples of it i think it's and, a waste of time when it's not the topic of the of the discussion when i'm like just saying oh and then the government did this and you shouldn't you shouldn't comply with this if i stop every time i say government or president or and i say but that's a made-up position we're, we're just going to run out of time on the radio well but to, to, the point i was making was that aria she she was able to get a response from this person that was very positive he said at the end of whatever it was you had said uh the interviewer said wow you know i'd never really thought about it that way and those are those gears well, turning to freedom that's the only key to freedom, and I'll just wrap it up there, is the idea that once you change your mind and eliminate all these other titles and concepts and paradigms, once you come but to the understanding... I get it, man, but you say... People, yeah, I get it, Jet. Thank you so much for the call. I, he's I, I not get wrong. It. I don't you think say, it's the number no, one. But he says, well, once you convince someone to change their mind, yeah, once you've done the almost impossible part, it's pretty easy after that. <laughs> sure, Once yeah. you convince someone to change their mind, it's really easy to convince them to change their mind yeah, i also don't think it's the, the, the number one pl- uh, platform i think the number one base thing people need to recognize before even thinking about wait maybe i need to disassemble this entire hierarchy i have in my head that's made up is that they rule that they rule themselves and they're the only ones in control of themselves i think that's where it starts and people don't have that simple maybe ian was born with it but most people don't they think i'm ruled by the laws that are written down they don't know anything about natural law. I mean, you're right, and then it's it's not impossible to reach people, right? But they, they do have to be sort of an open-minded person mm-hmm. in the first place. You're just not going to reach the, the average Republican or the average Democrat with these ideas, I don't think. Maybe you disagree. Give us a call. Let us know. 603-283-6160. There's more coming up here. It is Free Talk Live.
It is Free Talk Live, where, as always, you're invited to join us, 603-283-6160, if you'd like to do that. You're going to number 603-283-6160. with you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. It's Bonnie. And Ian. And we're talking about cryptocurrency in a lot of ways here tonight. And if you're sitting there wondering, what is cryptocurrency and how can you get started learning about it? Head on over to Bitcoin.com, click Getting Started at the top of the page. Take just a few minutes to watch a few videos. I think the first video is like three minutes long or something like that. And you can learn the the, the very basics of this important world-changing information. Of course, if you want to learn more than the basics, they have all of that stuff there as well. But if you already know the basics, check out News.Bitcoin.com to stay up to date on all the news and headlines that are relevant to you. You can even get some Bitcoin at Bitcoin.com, as I understand it, which... Could be a good idea. I, I, as I understand it, uh, Bitcoin is on sale. I think is it like thirty eight, thirty nine thousand dollars. I don't know exactly. Last time I looked, it was somewhere around there. Yeah, I'm not watching it, but you know, I I live here in New Hampshire where cryptocurrency is kind of popular. So when it when it drops down to thirty eight thousand dollars, I tend to hear about it. So Bitcoin.com, if you want to pick up some while it's on sale, again, that's Bitcoin.com. Talking about Eric Voorhees here and. More specifically, the decentralized autonomous organization that he transferred his centralized corporation from into. Yes, and this happened uh, sometime last year. Six months ago. And now he's doing sort of a retrospective of how things have changed. He cited that there were three primary reasons for it. The first one, and I don't... was The white white paper, yeah. Yeah, which is that, you know, shapeshift being centralized, it kind of runs counter to the whole idea of cryptocurrency in the first place and i right. tend to agree with him about that that's sort of why i'm not a big fan of places like coinbase and kraken and all of these other exchanges because cryptocurrency is supposed to belong to no one it's supposed to belong to the masses i mean cryptocurrency as an idea is not mm-hmm. supposed to be it's not supposed to have a gatekeeper that's why i always think it's crazy that the government is even even believes that they have the ability to write laws about cryptocurrency it's just like it's not your your thing you set well, out they, it's not owned by a company that you incorporated they're going to try to control anything yeah, that I get, moves i get that but yeah. it's just crazy they believe that people accept that yeah, yeah, the state believes they they deserve a cut of anything that moves and beyond that they, I mean, they want to be able to control it rather than just taking a cut because then they can inflate it they sure they, they can secretly take cuts from it without the average person realizing but they it. can't do that they, they can't can stop people crypto. from you well they want to be able to to do that to stop people they want to but, but they can't yeah that's how they actually pay for all of their wars and their boondoggles and stuff like that the amount of taxes they're collecting it's not paying for any significant portion of no, the wars it doesn't or any even of that pay stuff. off the interest of the the debt no yeah, what's actually paying for you. that is inflation and that's why they that's why they don't like cryptocurrency because they can't inflate it correct uh, so do you want to hear more about uh, yeah, the, the reasons? So he talked about how it's so there's the uh, ideological one of the ethos of crypto. The second reason they moved to a DAO was strategic because they just couldn't compete as a centralized corporation with these decentralized finance protocols, as he's pointing out out there, that are that are just so agile. They can change at a moment's notice. If their DAO says go in a different direction, they go in a different direction, and they don't have to go through the legal department, etc. And I really like that he didn't attempt to, you know, weaponize the state to crush his competitors. You know, the, mm-hmm. we mentioned Thor, right. ThorChain earlier, which is something that Eric Voorhees, the founder of Shapeshift, actually himself promoted 
instead and of implemented instead of trying to go after go to the government like hey look these guys they're, they're this isn't fair that i jumped through all of your hoops i'm doing this right. kyc stuff punish them instead of doing that he said no we need they're beating us at the game that we started playing we need to we need to compete change. with them change or die uh, and the final point he says it was very much about the regulatory environment. When our adversary, and he means the state, imposes unethical restrictions on us, the product becomes worse for users, less safe, and less efficient. We can't go head-to-head with them, meaning the state, because they have infinite money and power. So we decided to change the rules of the game by decentralizing ourselves. This doesn't make Shapeshift immune to regulation, but it does completely upend the entire apparatus of how financial regulation works and applies to a centralized centralized corporation versus a de, uh, decentralized autonomous organization. I tend to disagree, and I'm not an expert, but I think it does kind of make Shapeshift immune to regulation because there's no one to whom they can issue a summons to enforce these their regulations they, they can say that it's regulated all they want yeah. but that's a meaningless claim if there's no one to actually throw in prison he gets to that and there are people they could throw in prison because not everyone involved in the decentralized autonomous organization is anonymous although there are some who are that's Thanks. fair uh, but uh but anyway he points out we have to what what they're entering into here is really sort of an unknown area Right. Like the state has not yet figured out how to even try to regulate decentralized autonomous organizations. It's still trying to figure out how to regulate Bitcoin. It's so far behind. It's almost laughable. It would be laughable if they weren't prosecuting people over it, the outdated regulations that they still can't figure out. I I like how the guy called it unethical regulations, because even if it is technically legal for them to regulate a business in that way there's a system of morality outside of the law system and a lot of people don't get that he says we have to follow the laws which apply to us but the insight was to change which rules apply to us and even to change what us means the next question for him by decentralizing the company your role of eight years as the ceo no longer exists how do you feel about that he says, well, I'm definitely not leading things at this point. I'm not steering the Shapeshift DAO as the CEO, which is evident to people. It's nice to have a change of pace after a tremendously difficult and stressful eight years. Separation and closure from that stress, having time to focus on the parts of life that were neglected for a long time, have been refreshing. It has also been inspiring to see that, even though I'm not leading it, other people are stepping into various roles and leading multiple things without central oversight or command. I can simply contribute in big or small ways, whenever and however I wish, and this can change daily or weekly. He says this is a magical point about DAOs generally. Every participant can choose to do whatever they want. Nobody has to come become consumed by work, though they can if they wish. Consider the eternal debate within a corporate human resources department about maternity leave. How much is appropriate? What should be paid? Is In the Dow structure, if a woman has a baby, she doesn't have to worry about asking for anyone's permission for time off. There is dynamism in the ability to enter and exit one's participation level easily. And that's like a, a whole completely different paradigm, right? Like we're talking about something that your average corporate person just cannot even fathom how this could possibly be a functioning organization. But it does. It, it does seem weird, especially in the context of, you know, a... a pregnant woman seeking maternity leave or something like that because as i understand in the united states it's not just about unpaid maternity leave it's that a lot of them want paid maternity mm-hmm. leave and i i don't know i i guess the dow would write its own policies about that or the 
it, and there would be no human resources to go to in order to contest that. It would just be what what the market of that Dow demanded. Someone can work for six months straight, then go live in France for a month without asking permission from anyone, and then they can return and choose to contribute again or not at the same level or different. That flexibility is fantastic, and I am just really starting to appreciate it because into 2018, work was not at all fun for me. And we'll get into a little bit more. 603-283-6160 if you want to weigh in on this decentralized autonomous organization and how it can evidently improve people's quality of life by allowing them to drop in and out of work as they please. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, 603-283-6160 if you'd like to weigh in. Again, that number is 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. And Bonnie. And Ian. And we're talking about Bitcoin, which is one of these technologies that, you know, really you should be learning about, you should be using, you should be incorporating it into your life as much as possible. But there's another technology that we've been using recently called Odyssey. It is a blockchain-based so it wouldn't exist without Bitcoin. Video sharing protocol, and or media sharing protocol to be specific. It, it is mostly videos uh, on Odyssey and library. Actually, Odyssey may only be videos. I'm not entirely sure. It's not important. What you need to know is that you can't be censored on library. And that's the underpinning of Odyssey. On Odyssey, you, you can be censored because it's centralized, but... Realistically, they're probably not going to censor you. They certainly won't censor you over your controversial opinions. And if you've been on YouTube for the or any of these other video sharing sites for the last few years, you know how easy it is to catch a suspension or a strike or a ban on one of them. As I understand it, you could probably get away with putting up all of the copyrighted music you want in your videos on Odyssey. I don't know. I've never bothered to try it, but check it out. Our channel there is video.freetalklive.com. If you're sick of getting censored, Check out Odyssey. Again, video.freetalklive.com. That'll take you directly to our channel where you can find ourselves as well as more than a million other channels of people who are just tired of constantly having a band hammer hanging over their heads. But we do have a caller. We have Sarah calling from New Mexico. Sarah, you're on Free Talk Live. Oh. Huh? We, lo- I, we seem to be oh, losing yeah. you, Sarah. Go ahead. Okay, I Am I okay now? Okay. Yep. Um, hey, how did I get on so fast? Usually, I can't even get on at all. Like, I have to be held on hold for 30 minutes. But is today your kind of like slow night? Well, there are Wednesday? no other callers, so. Huh. Huh. I, I really don't have the, the mental capacity right now to explain to you the ins and outs of how talk radio that you control works, but... In general, uh, yes. Uh, most callers, when they attempt to call in, they do end up having to wait a little while. If other people are on the line. Yeah. Or if the oh, discussion is you know really good and you just want to call in and talk about how much you love speeding cameras or red light cameras or whatever, we're gonna, we might make you wait a little bit. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, I know that Friday, Saturday, the weekend nights are always uh, packed. You know what I mean? I'm lucky yeah. if I could get on at all. Definitely on Saturdays. So what were you calling about, Sarah? Okay, um, I I got the misinformation because uh, 
I thought I was getting the full-on red light cameras that get you for doing 15 wrong things through an intersection. Hold on, I Sarah. Mean, why are you buying cameras? No, no, I am not buying cameras. The city is going to put these speeding cameras. They just okay, see, well, I got speed. confused because you said you were getting cameras. You you literally said I was getting speed light, speed cameras or oh, whatever. And I'm so sorry. I, you know what? The, I have a head injury. You know, the, all of your, I got hit in the head and, uh, well, and then uh, sometimes my, whatever I think about, that my mouth, mouth don't cooperate. And it's done that before. Okay, I just assumed it was more of this whole thing of, you know, people identifying themselves as the state, the government that overrules them. She does say we, talking about the government all the time. Like yesterday, she said, we made the news because a bus flipped over in New Mexico. She did. That call was horrifying, by the way. Well, I mean, now, I don't know why it took them so long to... They're not allowed to release the the videos of the bus crash until they waited about three weeks, and then I they were able to. So now they're talking about putting mandatory um, um what is it seatbelts in all of the school buses. Only the they've been talking about that since I was a kid. They mm, still haven't done that no. yet. Good. I mean, it clearly isn't going to make a difference. I mean, well, but the thing is that the, the eight states already have it mandatory that they're required to have seatbelts in eight states. Well, we want to be the ninth one. They're debating. It's working just fine for 40 something other states to not have mandatory seatbelts. Well, that's the big debate because uh, these actually are uh, these kind of big accidents are very, very rare on a school bus. Right. Because the drivers are really careful and when they do, somebody do run into them, they really don't get hurt because the buses are so big. It's a very rare thing that they have a big um, yeah, collision so, like this. Yeah, so why would you want to force kids to wear seatbelts when these things are exceedingly rare? And even when they do happen, the chance of the bus actually being hurt, not hurt, damaged in any meaningful way that's going to affect the safety of children is negligible. But the thing is, that when, when something big like this happens, where you see the kids, you know, getting all knocked over to the... Well, two of the kids... I understand people see a video like this and they have an emotional reaction that makes them think, oh, I have to do something, and they stop thinking about whether or not the action they're going to take is actually going to cause anything positive to happen. They're just having an emotional panic attack, and they feel like they have to do something, anything, to make that feeling go away, and it doesn't really matter to them whether or not the action they take is going to have any effect. And usually they don't actually take action. They demand that the government take action. Like yeah, and it Sarah. seems like that's what this would be. Oh, God, we, we know this thing almost never happens. And we know when it does happen, the kids are just fine. But we have this one video and it makes us really upset when we watch it. So we have to do something, even though this is the first time it's happened in you know 15 years or whatever. It's just an emotional yeah. freak out from these people, Sarah. Well, the thing is, they're saying that maybe uh, three graders and below, like kindergartners, and, and they're so little, they just they just buckle them down, and they don't care because they don't know any better. But I mean, I get it, Sarah, after, but why do you want an emotional, freaking out human being to be the person who determines what, what your government does? Well, you know, I have a, a neutral, with this circumstance, where it, a, a lot of kids did get hurt, and then uh, this d- big accident did happen. So if they do, I mean, I... Yes, but you know how rare this is. You've acknowledged how rare it is. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I I just go kind of like, well, 
this only seldom happens, like, as you said, every 20 years or whatever. And, I mean, you know, people have to carry on with life of tragedies happening. They're not going to, but, and then the bigger kids, like uh, middle school, they're not going to cooperate. If you tell them you got to wear a seatbelt, they're going to be dull. And then they're not going to, they're going to, how are they going to really enforce that when they when they got a mind of their own? Another good point. So, so why why force kids to wear seatbelts? It's not going to be successful, and it's not going to do any good anyway. Yeah, but a lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people do want it for some reason, like uh, the you know what I mean. But I what do you, me, what do you I'm want, Sarah? Way. Okay, you can go either I way. Want- uh, thank you so much for the call tonight, Sarah. I think it's a terrible idea to let panicking parents freaking out because they saw a bus accident. Determine the policy for all school buses in your city or your state or your country or your county or your wherever to let those people who are in the grips of an emotional panic attack like make those sorts of decisions. That's a terrible idea. I want calm. If there's if someone else is going to make a decision that's going to affect me, I want that person to approach the situation rationally and logically, mm. not in the middle of a panic attack because they just watched something catastrophic and they're hell bent on doing something, anything to make it go away. We saw the same thing uh, during COVID uh, during Ukraine. Actually, I made this analogy that the Ukrainian situation, the sanctions, it was like a it was like a burning building. And I understand why people felt like we have to do something, anything. And the solution they came up with was to throw gasoline on it because, hey, it's a liquid, right? And they were panicking and that was the only thing they could come up with. So sanctions on this precarious situation that's already on fire. Sure. Why not? We have to do something. They're freaking out. And or, the government was telling them, hey, this gasoline might work, guys. Or you could follow the foundation or the founding fathers' recommendations and have no entangling alliances and stay the F out of international conflicts. Well, but that the would United be States ideal. hasn't been doing that for, you know, more than a hundred years. But even international stuff aside, all people really need to do is to take a moment and assess the situation. Don't panic and throw gasoline on the fire just because yeah, sure, technically it's in a, it's a liquid. And that's why other people shouldn't be in charge of our money, because they'll just throw money at seatbelts with that will never save one life. Solution, get your kids out of government school. 603-283-6160 if you want to weigh in about seatbelts and school buses at 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live where your calls and thoughts are welcome. 603-283-6160 if you'd like to win. Again, that's 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. And Bonnie. And Ian. And coming up, we're going to be talking about the... This North Korean situation, uh, we talked about it a week or two ago of someone who pled guilty to a charge of assisting North Koreans with getting around sanctions. Yep, I think he's sentenced to like 60 months in prison. By going to North Korea and giving them information that would allow them to bypass inhumane, barbaric, immoral sanctions imposed on them by the United States government. Things that the North Koreans, by all rights, should have a technological way of getting around. This guy, by showing them how to do that, is now... Or not even showing them how to do that, explaining to them the technologies that make this possible is facing prison. He's not the only one, though. There's some others in the European Union who are now being charged, apparently, by the United States government 
So it's right. it's a complete mess. We're going to talk about that later, but right now we're talking about the decentralized autonomous organization that is Shapeshift. And they didn't used to be a decentralized autonomous organization. It used to be just your regular organization with regular corporation. Eric Voorhees at the top and their staff and their employees and all that. And if you have that, then you have someone that you can squeeze. You have someone Mm -hmm. that you can apply pressure to and make them comply with regulations. They had a bank account. They had an office. They had, you know, a staff. And now they don't have those things. Because they have decentralized the organization. And so the, what this is is an interview with Eric, uh, the founder of Shapeshift, former CEO. Now he's just one of many. Now he's one of the members, I guess you would use that term, of the decentralized autonomous organization. He doesn't have any rank above How does anybody one even else. become a member in one of these? I mean, they don't have publicly available stocks, right? They have tokens. Ah, uh. So generally, the way the decentralized autonomous organization works is those who hold the tokens have voting power. You have to hold it enough to get voting power of a certain kind or something? The more you have, generally. And there may be different rules for different... This is dis- the way that Dash works, as I understand it, right? Dash is a little different in that they have uh, what they call masternodes in Dash. So you have to have a thousand Dash to be a masternode. Um, but though there are organizations of smaller holders that kind of come together to gather a thousand dash between them, and then they kind of share that voting power together somehow. But if you have a masternode, then you have one vote in the masternode votes. But with okay. with most decentralized autonomous organizations I've seen, it's the more tokens you have, the the stronger your voting ability. That's how I would expect it to work. And I realize that, that that's kind of screwed up. It rewards people for getting in early and on the ground floor and all that kind of stuff. Those and, people should be rewarded. Yeah, but I don't the know. People, if, the people who got in ground floor were the ones that saw the vision early and were willing to put, presumably, money where their mouth is and say, yeah, I think this thing's going to work. I'm going to buy you know, $1,000 worth of it or $10,000 or whatever they put in and they get those early tokens. And and in a lot of cases, it crashes and burns and they lose their $1,000 or their $10,000. But if it happens to work out, then good for them. It does. And every time, you know, I, I think about this, I think about AirSwap, which was one of these decentralized cryptocurrency exchanges that, you know, it was Ethereum only and it was going to be, it was one of the first of its kind and it was going to be great. And Wow, did it crash and burn, and did I burn so much Ethereum in that uh, nonsense? And, and I, I mean, remember. this was years ago, though. This was before sure. Ethereum was worth, you know, $2,000 or whatever it's worth now. She held the Ethereum, though. Uh, but, yeah, but I didn't. I burned it on this useless token that I was like, you know what? That sounds great. I believe in that. Let's put some money in it. Yeah, and I'm not any, like, brilliant investor or anything like that. Um, you talked about Bitcoin earlier tonight. I never was smart enough to actually buy any Bitcoin. I was wise enough to not do anything with the the sum that had been given to me. But uh, ultimately, I remember being at one of the earlier Bitcoin conferences where we were broadcasting and we interviewed the founder of Dash. And at the time, my attitude was, oh, pfft. We don't need any of these alternatives to Bitcoin. Bitcoin's <laughs> great. What's wrong with Bitcoin? There's nothing wrong with Bitcoin. And at the time... There was nothing wrong with Bitcoin. Bitcoin was fast. It was cheap. You could do microtransactions on Sounds it. Sounds nice. And I thought, why do we need a governance organization for Because that was what Dash's big change was. Beyond right. being four times faster at confirming their blocks on the blockchain, Dash had this decentralized autonomous thing. And I just I blew the thing off. We interviewed the guy. So somebody probably heard our interview and bought some Dash and got some masternodes or whatever. But, you know, I could have probably bought a thousand masternodes for, you know... A, a hundred bucks or something like that, you know, back in the early days. Yeah. Um, I mean, I might be exaggerating slightly, but it was very, very cheap back in the uh, the old days. 
So anyway, Eric Voorhees from Shapeshift talks about how his life has changed now that he's no longer the CEO, this sort of central person who has to direct this whole corporation and all the pressure comes in on him, right? Like whatever goes right or whatever goes wrong, he's the guy that gets blamed for it. And he says that uh, in 2018, work was not as fun for me. All hell broke loose on the back of the regulatory coercion we faced, and we struggled for years. Also, getting back to a place where we're just having fun again is great. I love that, he says. I feel good about taking the pressure off of John, our former COO and CPO, who was there with me through those tough times. He's really thriving in the DAO environment. He's super active and is doing a great job of being a leader, but not the leader. We are both having a lot more fun. In terms of that's dis- awesome. I would not have expected that. I mean, it makes complete sense now that I hear it spelled out. But I would have expected that you know the former CEO would still maintain a you know probably sixty seventy hours a week of just working yeah. on this thing. Doesn't but he's sound like, like it. you know what? I can pick it up when I want, and I can walk away when I want. In terms of dissolution of the actual entity, we dismantled it and distributed its assets to shareholders who all received a decent return on their investment, plus a pile of Fox tokens for the future upside in the Dow. We gave control of the product and brand to the community, of course, and we are still a part of that community. Shapeshift is now fully open source. So the way they did this was they took their existing set of employees, their board of directors or their executives, and the down to the janitor or whoever, like the lowest of customer service uh, employees, and all of their investors, and they took some of the Fox tokens, some, I don't know how many millions of them or whatever, and they said, all right, well... This is your severance package to their to their employees and said, if you want to keep on board and keep helping us with this decentralized autonomous organization, you have these tokens. This gives you voting power. So every employee of theirs was invited to continue in a decentralized manner to do whatever it is they felt called to do with the organization. And they got these tokens in. So if they wanted to say, you know what, I'm out. You know, I'm going to go work for Coinbase or something like that. They could just sell the tokens and take whatever cash in from whatever that was valued at in the market at that time. Or they could huddle the tokens and still go work for Coinbase. Uh, And or they could use the tokens to vote on the different propositions that the community was making. But doing that doesn't consume the tokens, so they would still have the tokens. Correct. He says, I'm most excited to see this is actually working in practice. We have a strong community made up of people from centralized Shapeshift, totally new people from all over the world, and some previous customers from years ago. And all of those people have come together without any central leader to organize around various initiatives. This is the healthiest sign I could have hoped for. I knew it could work potentially, but seeing it work in reality is awesome. We'll need a few years to see if it's a true success, but so far, so good. Next question. Can a decentralized autonomous organization be regulated? He says the answer to that is currently a big question mark. Regulations have to apply to an entity, a corporation or an individual, and a DAO isn't any of those. It's just a name we call a group of individuals that are communicating and building together. So he's sort of hedging his bets here. He's like, look, I'm not saying we're immune to regulation, but I'm saying it seems very difficult for them to apply regulations. Yeah, Uh, That's a fair way of looking at it. He's saying we'll see. Uh, Plus, even if they legally can't do something it doesn't stop them from doing something the government most of the time right it doesn't stop them from dragging eric Voorhees in and saying hey look um we're charging you with this and that and with this other thing unless you're you re-centralize shapeshift or whatever because the government is that incompetent they may genuinely not understand that there's no going back from this yeah once this cat's out of the bag (laughs) 
Uh, it's a done deal. He says regulators could go after individuals in the DAO, but only if those individuals do something illegal. So each individual can choose their actions based on their risk tolerance and on their jurisdiction. Remember, this is a global organization. So not everyone's in the United States. And that's great because they took away the hierarchy that the government thinks every single other person and organization thinks like, Correct. just like them. So they don't have the CEO to go after anymore. They to- can't go after the executives because there are no executives. Uh, the majority of financial regulatory law applies to corporate entities, and it's not clear how and to what degree that translates to individuals, nor what actions those individuals would have to take to fall under that jurisdiction. No, that would be like holding Twitter shareholders responsible for what the board of directors does. He says, I think it would be foolish to assume that governments will not try to regulate DAOs since they try to regulate everything. Still, they are so far behind the curve, they barely understand Bitcoin and Ethereum. All we need is time to build, and this is is what we have gained. I love that we said the same yep, thing right did. when we started this article. What are your thoughts on all of this? 603-283-6160. I'm glad to hear Eric Voorhees saying these things again. It's been a rough pat for him. I'm glad it's working out. Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live. As always, you're invited to join us at 603-283-6160 if you'd like to weigh in. Again, that's 603-283-6160. With you in the studio tonight, it's Aria. And Bonnie. It's Ian. And I'm looking at some of this. We're probably not going to get into all of this tonight. We've been talking about um, Eric Voorhees and Shapeshift and the decentralized autonomous organization they've become. We also want to talk about the North Korean situation and the the people who are being imprisoned wrongfully, immorally, because they they tried to help North Korea bypass some other illegal, probably illegal, but certainly immoral restrictions on what they can and can't do instead of allowing free market principles to determine those things because the United States government has decided that North Korea is evil and needs to be squashed out of existence with horrific barbaric sanctions and well they got the guy to take the plea deal so they never had to take it to court to prove that they actually had the jurisdiction to do that that's true well this guy was an america citizen so presumably they would have the jurisdiction to do it well i'm i just i guess i meant like the actual legal yeah the the precedent the the legal framework and that that is one of the that is one of the weird things that doesn't happen a lot when because people don't take things to trial, and I, I, I don't blame them. The, there's no legal precedent, right, saying that, no, you, can, you can't charge someone with treason or, what, or bypassing sanctions or whatever because they gave a PowerPoint presentation because this guy wasn't willing to take it to trial. So that... You're, you're absolutely right. And there probably won't be anyone willing to take it to trial over this. I mean, we're going to talk about some European citizens, some citizens of the European Union who are bit, apparently about to be brought up on charges by the United States government. They probably won't take it to trial either. So, But I also want to talk about this Intuit attack where one of their employees, that's, the, that's Intuit, the owner of MailChimp, and I don't know anything about MailChimp, mm. uh, TurboTax, and QuickBooks. Wow, I didn't know they own MailChimp. They, they do a lot of very important, very high-level financial stuff. One of their employees evidently fell for a really obvious phishing link, and as a result of that, 
Some scammer got access to a lot of information that they shouldn't have been able to get, was able to pose as Trezor, which mm. is a hardware oh wallet, and then things went downhill from there. Oh God. So people like give their hardware wallet passwords or something like that to Intuit TurboTax when they're doing their no, taxes? No, they, uh, it sounds to me like, and we haven't, obviously, I'm speculating here, it sounds like they got access to a database through MailChimp for Trezor, because what MailChimp is is a mailing list database. I used to use them until we decentralized from MailChimp and we started running our own mail server uh, to send out newsletters. So like the, right. the Free Talk Live AMP newsletter, the one that I send out to the industry people in the talk radio business, these all used to be on either Google or MailChimp. And now they're all in-house. We have the databases in in our server. And so any kind of breach of MailChimp would not um, really affect us in this case. It was something very similar to that. And we're going to, we're going to get into the article, of course, but it, um, they ended up with basically a list of people who had, re- they re- they had reason to believe they had um, accounts with Trezor. Mm-hmm. They, they had purchased hardware wallets. So Sounds they, like they ended up with Trezor's mailing list. The, essentially. Yeah. So they emailed these people. It's like, hey, um, you have an outdated version of the software. You need to go here and download uh, this updated version. Which was? Which was, uh, yes. A it's, hack. So they. Uh, malware. They typed their keys into this, or their recovery phrases into this thing. Gave the hackers all their Bitcoins. Yes. We're going to get into the details of that, but before we do, we have Major Payne calling from Michigan. Major Payne, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey, good evening. Hey, what's on your mind tonight? Evidently, the government is having a panic attack about old uh, Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Because they've decided to open their own board or bureau or some such thing of misinformation. Is this true? I was trying to verify this claim. Uh, I saw it I passed around. Heard, I just I just heard it on uh, the PAG show about an hour ago. Okay. One of the news whips. I'm figuring it's got to be true. It's out there. But well. uh, The government is creating their own... Wing. Board or bureau of mm-hmm. misinformation because they're scared. With, I mean, when you look up bureau Twitter. of misinformation, you don't find anything that seems to be particularly true. Well, no, it has not been enacted yet. It's just in the process. Or maybe they're just talking about it. Maybe they won't. Either way, well, the rock, the rock dumb. has been cast. The rock or the bread has been cast upon the water. They're scared about losing their foothold of being the only ones to be able to misinform us. Well, this happened a long time ago. This happened back in 2016. I remember shortly after President uh, Trump won the election or whatever, there was an immediate appearance of a website that was that supposedly listed all of the news sources that you could not trust. And so this has been going back for several years. They've had things like this, and this was put together by the AP. I don't think the site even exists now. But I remember that. Yeah, that's but, familiar. But I mean, I bet you this CNN, isn't a new I bet thing. You CNN, I bet you CNN didn't make the cut because they were the number one offender. No, of course they didn't make the cut. No, it was like government funded. I remember. Yeah, I, I wish yeah, I could remember more about it. Uh, thank you so much tonight for the call tonight, Major Payne. I I really do wish I could remember more about it because it was. I don't even remember what was the catalyst that caused it to come into existence in the first place. What was the misinformation that was supposedly being spread? It was that the 
Oh, wait, never mind. I was going to say it was that, that the election was stolen, but nope, it wasn't that. It wasn't that because, because I was the good side back then. Yeah, this was back in 2016. I still lived in Mississippi when this website came into existence, but I don't remember what it was called or why it came into existence. I remember writing about it. It's just ringing a bell to me. It's like you said that. I was like, oh, I remember something like that. Yeah, but, but I'm never going to remember any more about it. So it's pointless to try to think about it i okay. guess i found the i found an actual story to back this up because this was getting passed around social media several hours ago sure at the time i couldn't find anything out there anywhere to verify this but now you've got the daily mail is reporting on it uh saying that the biden administration's department of homeland security is going to be setting up a quote disinformation governance board to tackle the so-called misinformation in minority communities. And so a lot of people are calling this the Ministry of Truth in reference to uh, 1984. And- I would assume they're they're focusing on... Okay, first of all, when, when a bunch of old white people get together and they say, we're going to come up with this new thing to protect minorities, I get concerned. Mm-hmm. Because historically, that's how you end up with things like the drug war and you know the, the war on black Americans that's been taking place for the last however long, but at least the last 50 years as enacted by the United States government. And this is this disinformation governance board, I would speculate it's about the distrust minority communities have of government because of things like, you know, the, the Tuskegee. Sure. Experimentation. Yeah. Uh, so this is going to be headed up by a, what they describe as a woke so-called expert who's against free speech and who also tried to pour cold water on the Hunter laptop scandal. Her name is Nina Jankowitz. She'll be heading the Disinformation Governance Board as executive director, according to Politico Playbook, reporting this morning. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas did not disclose any powers that would be granted to the dystopian-sounding board. While addressing lawmakers on Wednesday, he explained the board would work to tackle disinformation ahead of the November midterms, particularly in Hispanic communities. Yeah, what I have is that it's um, going to be countering misinformation related to homeland security, focused specifically on irregular migration and Russia. Very strange. It would seem like you wouldn't need to convince the Hispanics about what is actually going on when it comes to immigration. It's very unclear what these people want to do. And that's that's well, never a good thing. Here's the thing. Whatever it is they're creating this for doesn't matter because good government point. programs always grow beyond their original intentions, beyond what their original vision was for it. Because once you create a new bureaucracy, that bureaucrat, whoever's in charge, this Nina person, is going to want to get paid more. And she's going to want to put more people underneath her. And she's going to want to have a bigger budget. And so the, the thing is going to grow. A newer trend that we saw in the 2020 election is that disinformation is being heavily targeted at Spanish-speaking voters, sparking and fueling conspiracy theories, said Underwood. Well, don't don't worry to all the Hispanics and Spanish-speaking voters out there. The government is here to protect you because clearly they think you're too stupid to make up your own mind. 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, where, of course, you're invited to take control of the airwaves and talk about whatever is important to you. 603-283-6160, if you'd like to do that. 
That's 603-283-6160. I want to say thank you to Elliot Axelman, who is tonight's amplifier. This means that Elliot is a who also is heavily involved in secession. I've written several books about the subject, so mm. I can't think of the name of his website off the top of my head. The Liberty Block. That's it. TheLibertyBlock.com if you want to see more of his work. Elliot, thank you so much for your support. Actually, it's just LibertyBlock.com. Okay. That means that Elliot is a member of the AMPS program. That's AMPS.FreeTalkLive.com. If you like the show and you value the ideas of liberty and you want to help us reach a larger audience and show your support, all of that great stuff, the AMPS program is the best way to do that. That's AMPS.FreeTalkLive.com. That will take you directly to our Patreon, where you can join for as little as five bucks a month. That's all it takes. AMPS.freetalklive.com. We have Law Dog calling from Michigan, listening on WKHM. Law Dog, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey, thanks for taking my call, guys. Uh, hey. Got the latest uh, scoop from Miranda Devine on uh, Hunter Biden and uh, uh, Joe and Eric Swalwin. Uh He does Joe's taxes. Uh, had a couple dozen visits to Joe Biden in the White House, and Joe Biden doesn't know anything about it. And uh, he made deposits as pretty much an insensual business relationship with, uh, you know, a three-way deal here with Joe Hunter and this Swarin guy. And uh, the deliberations are in the grand jury. Two of uh, Hunter Biden's former lovers, the baby mama down there at the um, strip club in uh, D.C., uh, uh, has been subpoenaed along with probably, I would think, Haley, his uh, dead brother's widow that he was uh, shacking up with. Um, oh, God. I, I understand uh, that all of this sounds terrible, but it sounds to me like an episode of Friends or Melrose Place. Why should I care what these what what these creeps and you know sex hounds and drug addicts are doing? Yeah, well, the grand jury cares, and. Uh, they well, want to know who the big guy in my Like that judge in New York that. said, you can get a grand jury to indict a ham sandwich. What, what a grand jury thinks doesn't really mean a whole lot in the United States. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and that, that was from an actual state judge who said that, by the way. Yeah, they're, they're, looking, to, uh, they're looking to indict uh, uh, late May, early June. It's going to have to go to Lisa Monaco's desk, according to... Miranda Devine. What makes you think that they're going to indict the son of the president? Uh, He's he's dirty. Why do you care? Well, I mean, they're all dirty, but what makes you think that he is going to be indicted? Why would you think that the Justice Department, who Joe Biden is the head boss man of, is going to go after their boss man's son? Well, it's not going to be Merrick Garland. It's going to be Lisa Monaco. I don't know and who A B C bureaucrat is versus another one. I mean, they all work for the same guy, dude. Does Lisa Monaco yeah. work for Joe Biden? Uh, well, she wants a job in two years, and uh, the only way she's going to get one is to um, uh, is uh, if she doesn't work for Joe Biden and the Justice Department, then she cannot issue an indictment. This is pure fantasy, the idea that she wouldn't have a job two years from now if she doesn't indict Hunter Biden. I mean, bureaucrats almost never get fired from their jobs. You understand that, right? Well, uh, Gar- Garland can't handle it because he... Uh, I don't, he, I don't thank care Thank you so much Garland for the is. call tonight, dude. The, I, I was hoping you were going to actually answer that very simple yes or no question with a yes or no instead of jumping off into one of these other people we don't really it's, care about. For people like that, it's all about the personalities. 
Those people believe that, oh, well, Ms. Merrick Garland, who, I don't know, is like the attorney general or something like that, one of these Department of Justice characters, oh, well, he or she, I don't even know if it's a man or a woman, this person is, they're going to go get him, or the other guy's going to get him because he's with Trump, and they're with this person over here, and it's like, no, the bureaucracy stays the same, bureaucrat or uh, president to president. Look at Fauci for a perfect example of somebody who has just been a mainstay character throughout different generations, basically, at this point. That man has been a a professional bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. for decades, and he's not going anywhere. It doesn't matter how upset you are about him. It's so rare that any bureaucrats will actually be fired. There has to be a serious scandal, and I understand the conservatives believe that Hunter Biden is a serious scandal. Like the guy smokes crack. Why? He's uh, he. Who cares? He's having sex with uh, girls or whatever who he shouldn't be touching. They're too young for him. They, there's all Probably, kinds of. Probably, but yeah, there's all kinds of like dirty stuff with this guy. But he's the son of the president. Yeah, he's not going to get indicted. They can't even indict Trump, and he's not even the president anymore. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. the he's the former president opposed to the current president. I heard he's being held under contempt of court currently though and i thought that was pretty interesting by but a they state don't... level judge not a federal one and mm. they don't put him in jail it's like he has no. so, yeah he's not in jail the rest under of us conce- go to jail under contempt yeah. he's just having to pay some amount of money each day or something well That's it's right. a ten thousand dollar per day fine mm. and he's appealing it so mm. he'll probably win the appeal I, I i don't know how that works there's I, something in the world of policing called professional courtesy have you ever mm. heard of it yeah I think so, but... Do you know what it is? Like if a police officer gets pulled over and she's off-duty, but she's driving drunk, she'll ask for a professional courtesy to, like, you don't, don't give me a DUI. Yeah, well, you yeah. don't even have to ask. As long as they know you're a cop, they'll basically give you a pass. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to let you get back behind the wheel as you're drunk or whatever, but it might mean they'll drive you home instead of drive you to the station and book you. Uh, if you are a cop, you get what's called professional courtesy. And if you don't think professional courtesy is given between different presidential administrations, especially to their family members, you're in a delusional state. Well, I think it's fair to say that Law Dog there is fairly delusional. To, to even if Joe, even he's if he's drinking Hunter, the conservative Kool Aid, yeah, even if Hunter Biden wasn't Joe Biden's son, even if he wasn't, even if he was a. Nancy Pelosi's grandson or nephew or whatever. All of these people, yeah. Like Laura Bush or whatever name was. Not Mm -hmm. Laura Bush. One of their kids getting busted with a huge amount of cocaine. Maybe it was George Mm. W. Bush. I don't even remember No, I know who you're talking about. We actually covered that story. It was a long time ago. That was the daughter of Jeb Bush from Florida. Mm. She was like uh, smoking crack. And of course, nothing's ever going to happen. So nothing's going to happen here with uh, Hunter Biden's laptop. And then she was in a uh, whatever treatment center they had her in like an outpatient kind of thing or is outpatient where you stay there i think so yeah so she was at this like camp well, wouldn't that be inpatient? inpatient yeah outpatient okay. is like okay. leave for the day so she was at this camp and then she tried to escape from the camp so she could go and smoke some more crack or whatever she never got charged criminally with anything oh, of course not they never and, and jeb bush said at the time if i recall correctly about you know when questioned about this he said well that's a that's a private family matter i remember him saying that mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah yep. good, good point but, but for everybody else your kid gets caught with crack they're going to the, the county jail yes or state prison or whatever so before we got into that we were talking about uh mailchimp here and intuit and how there is a new class action lawsuit which alleges that intuit intentionally willfully recklessly or negligently failed to protect mailchimp data and as you point out mailchimp is like a 
a ma- a mailing list thing. Yeah. It's like a database of mailing lists. That's it. So it's not like a mail server or anything like that. But evidently, Trezor uses it. And when we get back, we're going to talk about this lawsuit and how it could be responsible for millions of dollars in losses. And that's that's just right now losses, right? We don't know. If Bitcoin hits a million dollars, how much money do they lose in that case? 603-283-6160. It's Free Talk Live. It's Free Talk Live, where you can join us, 603-283-6160, if you would like to weigh in. Whether you're engaging in some of this crazy conservative fantasy about Hunter... Mike Lindell. Who's that? He's going to uh, prove that uh, Trump actually won the election because the voting machines in Arizona... Mike Lindell is going to go after them all. He's the my pillow guy. He was predicting that Trump was going to actually get secretly uh, re like initiated into the office, and he kept on bumping it down in the year twenty twenty one. Oh, one of these uh, QAnon guys are like, oh yeah, yeah. There, there's a real, there's a super double secret inauguration right. going yeah. on. Yeah, he was he was promoting that. Or, he also used to smoke crack. Uh, wow. <laughs> sounds like it. Or if you want to engage in the the other side's fantasy of, you know, Trump being indicted, you're welcome to call in and share your thoughts and opinions on it. 603-283-6160. It's hard for people to understand that these people, these tyrants and psychopaths and parasites that call themselves the government, are extremely unified beyond what the average person is unified with each other. Well, they're they, more unified. they buy it, right? They buy into the myth. When they watch WWE SmackDown or whatever, they've convinced themselves that, yes, this is real. This, the Rock really hates Triple mm-hmm. H. Or, look, I haven't seen any wrestling since <laughs> I was since like the mid-90s. I don't have any idea if anyone out there even knows who any of those people are. You probably know, who the, know who the Rock is. is. I know yeah. The Rock, but not Triple H. But I mean, they, they bought into it. They believe that the Democrats and the Republicans, they actually hate each other. They actually oppose one another, they believe, even though if they took 10 minutes to look at it, they'd realize very quickly that nothing has ever changed going from Bush Jr. to Obama to Trump to Joe Biden. It's gotten worse, but you know, it hasn't gotten better in any significant manner. The will, the machinery around the state has never changed, and yeah. it's not going to change because one president. You mentioned Dr. Fauci, excellent example. He was the he the Dr. Fauci. He's the director of the NHS or whatever the National mm-hmm. Health Service. I don't remember exactly what he does, but he's that under Joe Biden, and he was that under Barack. I mean, under Donald Trump, and he was probably that under Barack Obama as Wouldn't well. Surprise me. I don't know how long this dude's been in this position, but it doesn't matter. You can change out the presidents all you want. You can elect a Republican Congress, a Democratic Congress. It doesn't matter. These bureaucrats, the underlying tyrants, they never change. They persist. According to Wikipedia, he's been the director of the NIAID, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. You said NHS. That's the UK. Since 1984. Uh, Since 1984. Yeah. How did you know that? It's a meme. Oh, okay. That's it's like passed around like oh since 1984, 1984. that's telling and it is. Yeah. So as long it's as extremely almost... telling who was president then Reagan? Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah. 
So since Reagan, we've had the, the, the same person in power, and that, that's what people don't get. They, that's, that's one of the points that I like about Jed. You know, he, we talk about kings and queens and stuff like that, and people do that. They, they point to Joe Biden and Donald Trump as being the figures, and they, and they sort of are. They're the figureheads, but focusing on them allows them to ignore the, the man behind the curtains, so to speak, the giant apparatus the behind them, the bureaucracy yeah. that never changes from one president to another. Here we have Fauci been in office since 1984. He's 81 years old. I mean, he was he, Good got, he got that job in his 40s. I don't want anyone to die, but if COVID was going to kill someone... Well, he wore his know, mask even when he was on his back porch. He doesn't... To be fair, in his credit, he doesn't look 80-something years old. He seems like he must be in pretty good shape then. Because I would have figured true. he was probably That's in true. his early 60s or something like that. Finding out he's 80 is legitimately surprising. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. But before we got into that, we were talking about this lawsuit that's being filed in California, which claims the financial software firm Intuit and its subsidiary Rocket Science Group, which operates MailChimp, because that's how this corporate nonsense works. They, One corporation owns these smaller corporations, and mm-hmm. they, they own these firms that own these subsidiaries. And I wouldn't be surprised at this point to find that Intuit is ultimately owned by Disney, <laughs> like mm-hmm. so many other places are. They're, the lawsuit claims that Intuit, Rocket Science Group, and their financial firms and subsidiaries that operate MailChimp are responsible for million dollars in losses. That includes $82,000 stolen from plaintiff Alan Levinson's own Trezor wallet. On behalf of other Trezor wallet users, Levinson is seeking actual and punitive damages from Intuit, as well as three years of credit monitoring. I, I don't understand the credit monitoring thing. It's mm. not like your Bitcoin is going to affect your credit score. Mm. We, we, we haven't reached that point of mainstream adoption of Bitcoin yet. We're having a lot of Bitcoin boost your credit score. Maybe one day. And even then, I don't think it'll be a, a credit score like a credit rating with that we have now. It'll be something more like a reputation rating that's stored on the blockchain. Something like Keybase, I would speculate. Anyway, this guy is alleging that an employee of Rocket Science Group, quote, fell victim to one of the oldest cyber tricks in the book by clicking on a malicious link that granted at attackers access to personal information, including email addresses, of more than 100 users who were subscribed to a Trezor newsletter. Hmm. The emails were then used to lure users to a fake Trezor website. Always check the URL, people. So it wasn't just the employee here who was fished. Oh, yeah, of course. This guy himself was also fished, and now he wants someone to be responsible. Dude, you're the one who received the email. Well, You're the one who clicked the link. If the email actually came from Trezor's official mailing list, you could understand why someone might be a little less uh, cautious. I'm not real clear on exactly what happened here. Well, he was directed to download a new version of the company's Trezor Suite desktop app to protect themselves from a data breach. In doing so, users unknowingly gave cybercriminals access to the recovery phrase used to access their crypto wallets. Mm. So he received an email from someone claiming to be Trezor, Mm -hmm. and he clicked the link, he installed their software, and they drained his wallet of its Bitcoin. Well, the question was, did they get... 
did this hacker just get a hundred some emails and send out their own fake email from their own mail server? That's what it sounds like. Or did they actually gain access to MailChimp's system and send the email out via MailChimp through the Trezor email list? I see what you're saying. That's in a which good case, question. In which case, I would expect it would have gone to more than a hundred people because, I mean... If Trezor's got a mailing list, it's got to be in the thousands. It it did not come from Trezor's website, for uh-huh. whatever that's worth. So it seems like they did just get access to the list of email addresses. Well, and it only said it was over 100 emails. So, yeah, that does suggest that, for whatever reason, it was a partial list. I mean, I don't I don't know how many customers Trezor has, but it ain't 150. It's probably 15,000. Well, you probably have to opt into joining the newsletter. Yeah. Well, but- only 100 got the email or only 100 actually got fished? It's unclear. Hmm. Yeah, However, Trezor, question. which is based in the Czech Republic, began warning users about the phishing email in April, saying a scam email warning of a data breach is circulating. The company said on Twitter, do not open an email originating from no reply at trezor.us. It is a phishing domain. Mm. So someone went online, presumably GoDaddy or one of these other sites, and found that trezor.us was available. But even if it wasn't, they would have bought trezor.tv or trezor.whatever. They would have found somewhere where it could be purchased for $7.99 or whatever. Yep. Its website still features a banner warning users not to enter the recovery seat anywhere. That would be Trezor's official mm. website, which is good advice. Yeah. Without true. mentioning Trezor directly, MailChimp acknowledged the security breach in a post on April the 4th saying, Based on our investigation to date, we found that 319 MailChimp accounts were viewed and audience data was exported from 102 of those accounts. Oof. So presumably that means 319 mailing lists were viewed and data from those accounts from 102 of those accounts was exported our findings show that this was a targeted incident focused on users in industries related to cryptocurrency and finance some of the largest projects in the last few months have had to warn users about phishing attacks including board eight club circle and metamask coming up though we're gonna we're gonna try to cover the story about these north koreans and their ability to bypass sanctions made possible by good na- good good people who want to help them. Free Talk Live. Unfortunately, you're out of time if you want to join us for the most part. But uh, we will be here same time tomorrow. You can join us in the meantime over on a social media server. You can find that at social.freetalklive.com. If you're sick of getting censored on Twitter or you're one of these these crazy leftists who's just really concerned about Elon Musk taking over (laughs) Twitter, then check us out at social.media, social.freetalklive.com. I bring up Twitter because I did name tonight's episode based off of something that was happening in regard to Twitter. So I, I actually do want to get into that because... What's it, happening? A Twitter, what, their top lawyer recently had uh, a staff meeting where she reassured their staff. and then This the, is pre-Elon, right? And, no. No. And, and then she cried. <laughs> really? The, their top lawyer cried in a staff meeting so when it yeah it's probably tough knowing you're gonna lose your job 
Well, people are allowed to cry, but I wouldn't. I don't expect that sort of behavior from professionals. It's not very no. professional. No, that's true. So Monday was an emotional. But these are a bunch of woke leftists who are constantly talking about safe spaces. Did you hear the leaked audio from the uh, Twitter meeting earlier I did this not. week? No. Yeah, apparently some audio leaked. Uh, it was like forty-five minutes, but somebody clipped it down to fifty-five seconds or whatever. And it's the CEO talking about how it's Twitter is supposed to be a safe space and the blah 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 safe space this and that. So those are the kind of people that are running the company. They are. I, I did see a graph where that showed that something like 98% of donations from Twitter employees to political campaigns were to Democrats. Oh, that figures. Yeah, it does. So Monday was an emotional day at Twitter. Shortly after billionaire Elon Musk bought the powerful social media platform, top Twitter lawyer Vijaya Gade called a virtual meeting with the policy and legal team she oversees to discuss what the new ownership could mean for them. She, sp- she cried during the meeting as she expressed concerns about how the company could change, according to three people familiar with the meeting. Mm. It's just that some people might want to say something and we won't, we won't be able to block them from the internet from saying it. They are tremendously Cries. concerned about that, right? Because they could just block conservatives, but that's not good enough for them. Or, you know, whatever political ideology these people, in my experience, it's largely conservatives being you know blocked on Twitter or banned from Twitter. It's not enough to just block them. It's no, they want to, they specifically want to deny them the ability to use Twitter at all. They don't want them to be, they don't want to disagree with their message. They don't want to be able to block their message. They want to keep them from being able to spread their message. So this attorney acknowledged that there are significant uncertainties about what the company will look like under Musk's leadership. Twitter spokesperson Trenton Kennedy said that Gade became emotional when discussing her team's impact and the pride she feels in them, which is a different thing, and that's far more understandable. But other people who were actually in the meeting, according to three people familiar with the meeting, said that she was crying as she expressed concerns about how the company could change. Sources confirmed that she spoke at length about how she is proud of her team, and she offered them encouragement, urging them to keep striving to do good work at the company. It sounds like she expects to be gone. Mm. Gade, who has worked at Twitter since 2011, is the key executive charged with overseeing Twitter's trust and safety, legal and public policy functions. She is seen internally as Twitter's moral authority and the executive tasked with handling sensitive issues like harassment and dangerous speech. So I I could understand why if she's the attorney who's in charge of their Twitter's trust and safety and their public policy functions. And this is wasn't Elon Musk tweeting about Donald Trump and Truther recently pointing out that, you know, the reason that Truther is beating Twitter on the App Store, the Apple Store, is because Donald Trump was banned from this is a direct result of Twitter's Mm -hmm. own actions. That's true. Uh, and I don't think it's particularly notable that, uh, you know, Truther or whatever it's called is beating Truth social. Yeah. Is beating Twitter on the Apple store because Apple, I mean, Twitter is crushing Truther on Google Play. Truth doesn't exist on Google Play. That's, so why, that's it's why it's getting it's, crushed. I yes. Be, I don't know if it's fair to say that they're crushing them given they can't even compete. And that's just new downloads anyway, right? Like I'm sure Twitter has more downloads in history. Yeah. It's over a certain time frame. I don't know what time frame it looks okay. at. I don't is know if it's Trump the last week or is Trump actually true true thing? True thing? No, not yet. Supposedly, yet? well, I don't use the app, so I can't I can't tell you. Um, but uh, supposedly, he is scheduled to begin 
using his own app this week. Oh, wow. Yeah, the uh, they acted like, oh yeah, it was always the plan to have Donald Trump not do anything on his app for two whole months <laughs> and then all of a sudden come in that this was always their plan. It has nothing to do with Elon Musk buying Twitter now. It, it would have been very easy for them to set him up with like a Telegram channel and mm. that automatically posted his stuff to Truth Social or whatever sure. it's called. Or you mean if he couldn't figure out his own web website? Yes. Okay. I mean, it would have been very easy to set something like that up. By the way, uh, Elon Musk joked that uh, Trump's thing should have been called Trumpet instead of Truth Social. <laughs> I saw that. He's not wrong either. That, that <laughs> yeah. is much more clever. You know, Christians always point out that... Trump sounds like trumpet because they talk about the part in the Bible where trumpets will sound. Oh my God. And they'll be like, and that's referencing wow. his name. I've never heard a Christian say that. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I, I'm really not. I mean, these people will grasp at straws. There's a great clip, too, of Donald Trump himself trying to, to say truth social to an audience like while he's speaking at a podium and he can't get it out. What, is like he, he, what does he say? He just butchers it. I, I don't remember how he butchers it, but he just totally butchers it. It's well, social. He probably has no idea what it's called because yep. he's never used it. <laughs> right. He's never truthed on it. Truthed. What is, truth. Is that what they yeah. really call it? When it's you, bad. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's really bad. bad. It's not It's not a good one. No, trumpeted, trumpeted, trumpeted would make a lot more sense. And then they could have it's stolen It's still awkward, toot. though. <laughs> it's still, yeah. They could have stolen toot. It could be trumpet, the what the site, and then every time you post, toot, it's a toot. Yeah, that's a good point. See, I was never a big fan of toot. I don't like that either because it's like what moms like say to little kids, like instead of saying a dirty word. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's why I was never a big fan of it. But I mean, you got to call it something, right? It sounds like a fart, but it's supposed to be the sound an elephant makes with its... Which is really bad. Because the elephant is... Yeah, mastodon. Oh, oh, okay. That makes yeah. sense. They should have done roar anything. <laughs> I don't know. Just about anything would have been better, but we can all agree that truth truth is not better. And retruth to retoot or retweet. Retruth. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or they, they could at least call it like spreading the truth or something, right? A lot right? of character, or a lot of syllables. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. But well, retruthing isn't any better. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's got fewer syllables, I guess. But President Donald Trump has been banned from the platform in the wake of the January 6th attack on Capitol Hill, according to Politico, which is a position that has earned... Hold on. I skipped ahead a bit. So this is the attorney who shepherded Twitter through some of its most contentious political battles, including the decision about booting Donald Trump from Twitter. So it sounds like she may or may not be one of the people who was like, yes, you can kick Donald Trump. It it would be a good thing for the... Mm. For the country, if you kick Donald Trump, which, of course, did cause Donald Trump to create his own social media platform. Eventually. Eventually. Yeah, it took him more than a year. For if it. he was smart, he'd have gotten in front of it and created his platform before they booted him off. Of but Twitter. with the amount of money that he has, how long should it, it shouldn't have taken him very long? Even if no. he was just like kicked off the platform, he should have had his own Mastodon server running yeah. a week later. I could have called up Michael Hampton and, you know, had it had it running that night. You know, yeah, <laughs> if I needed to. But as Rest news of Musk's official takeover has broken, policy and legal employees fretted at the meeting about what his leadership could mean for Twitter's carefully crafted online speech rules. Yeah, I would hope that they cut the policy legal employee department way down. Anyone with the term safety in their job title <laughs> should probably go. 
I tend to agree. There's also apparently somebody, I don't know if it was the same woman or one of her um, underlings, whose job it was to monitor toxicity. They have an employee whose job is to yep. monitor. What a waste of a life. That's what he does, and he's afraid he's going to lose his job. So they're worried that Twitter's carefully crafted online speech rules like its policy against hate speech, misinformation, and even political advertising could come under fire. I have no issue with any of those things being on Twitter. I would rather them not sell advertising, but they got to make money somehow. So that's what they're going to do. I'd rather not be targeted advertising. Don't, don't spy on me while you're selling me off to advertisers. Misinformation I don't care about. I will spread alternative information, information that I think is correct and accurate. And people can share information that they think is correct and accurate. And the average person out there can look at that and make up their own decision. Hate speech, again, I don't particularly, I don't, I don't care. If Twitter wants to allow hate speech, that's fine. I can block someone if they get under my skin. Yeah, I block all libertarian women, libertarian or whatever, who post like dirty pictures and say whorish things. I block them. Yeah, I don't blame them. The ones who try to use the fact that they're libertarian women to gain social yes. media clout. Yeah, I don't blame you. I block every single one I see. You won't find that sort of stuff probably on our social media site at social.freetalklive.com. Insight Daily Radio. Conversations with today's most interesting artists and creators. Author, humorist, and radio personality Garrison Keillor has been a fixture in popular culture since the 1970s. With more than 30 best-selling books and his Prairie Home Companion radio program. And he has a new book entitled Boomtown, a Lake Wobegon novel. We caught up with Garrison to chat about his new book and the creative journey that continues to bring Lake Wobegon to life. It's comedy, really. And comedy is a rewarding pursuit. My wife said to me the other day, she said, I love you because you make me laugh. Well, there it is. There it is in one sentence. I love you because you make me laugh. And, uh, and I certainly do. That's author and humorist Garrison Keillor, whose new book, Boomtown, a Lake Wobegon novel, has just been released and is now available wherever books are sold. See Garrison Keillor live on stage May 2nd at Red Rocks Amphitheater. Keillor will be joined by iconic artists including country music star Brad Paisley, soprano Ellie Dean, Elvin Bishop's Big Fun Trio, vocalist Heather Massey, and many more. Enjoy a live show filled with Lake Wobegon stories, humor, music, and audience sing-alongs. Red Rocks Amphitheater, May 2nd. Reserve your seat today.